0: hello welcome to the city pentecostal church sermon of the week we begin a new month with a new theme the way of the cross as we near the end of lent we encourage you to continue to take this time to repent pray fast reflect and examine your faith in relationship with jesus christ in today's message we are reminded that god required a price to be paid for sin and that Jesus paid it for each and every one of us through his journey to the cross. We were redeemed, bought, and paid for by the precious blood of Christ, a lamb without blemish or defect. Thank you again for joining us, and now here's Pastor Harlan Purdy with the Sermon of the Week titled, Redeemed, Bought, and Paid For.
1: Lou Johnson, was a 1965 World Series hero. Now I know everybody here remembers 1965. And always with with World Series uh, events, and those who are the winners of the World Series, their uniforms, their gloves, their bats, and all of those things are precious commodities, and and they tend to keep them as mementos, and, and so did Lou Johnson. However, in 1971, he lost the last remnant of his memorabilia from that 1965 World Series win, which was his championship ring. He lost it to a drug dealer. And for 30 years, he tried to recover that ring. Drug abuse, alcoholism cost him everything. He lost it all. The Dodgers president, whose name was Bob Graziano, learned that Lou Johnson's championship ring was going to be auctioned off on the Internet. And so he wrote out a check, $3,457, and bought that ring before it went for auction. He did it for Lou. He did for Lou what Lou could not do for himself. He redeemed the ring. He bought it back. Well, we've been redeemed this morning. When we think about the saving work of Jesus and the cross, there are many aspects and many elements to salvation, the doctrine of soteriology that we can think about. But one of the themes, one of the facets of of, 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 of the, the salvation that we enjoy is redemption. It's not one of the aspects of salvation that we talk a lot about. We talk a lot about forgiveness, and that's important. But we need to understand redemption. Redemption is critical for our lives. It's critical for our faith. If we don't understand redemption, then there are many things that tend to go awry and go amiss in our lives. I think many Christians fail in discipleship because they don't understand redemption. We have been redeemed. And the word redeemed comes out of the Greco-Roman culture. And it refers to the purchase of a slave, the purchase of a slave's freedom. In the Roman Greco Empire, a slave could purchase their freedom if they could in some way find the funds to do so. Also, someone else could purchase their freedom. And the way they did that was to go to the temple treasury, the temple of the god or the goddess that was resident in that city or in that area. And they would go to that temple and they would bring the money and the money would be paid into the temple treasury. Then given to the slave's owner. And the idea behind it was that now this person was no longer the property of their previous owner, but they were now the property of the god or the goddess. They had been redeemed, or they had been purchased. The sum of money that was paid is referred to as the time, which translated into English means price. Peter uses that word probably very purposefully because when he talks about silver and gold being precious and valuable it's the Greek word tamayo time tamayo it's a play on words he wants us to understand something this price that is paid to the god or the goddess in the Greco-Roman Empire and the slavery aspect, that, that they can be bought with silver and gold. Things that are precious, things that are valuable in man's eyes, but we're not purchased with them. We are purchased with the blood of Jesus. Although Peter is speaking to an audience that would readily resonate with this Greco-Roman custom of the purchase of slave. It's not something that we in our world are that familiar with, although slavery is still a big problem in today's world. They tell us that there are probably about 32 million slaves in the world today. There are people in Malawi in slavery. And we need to release the slaves. And so although Peter's reference here resonates with the Greco-Roman customs, it also resonates with the Old Testament sacrificial system. For it is with the shedding of blood that the sins were forgiven, the sacrifices. In Deuteronomy 7 and 8, it says, The Lord says, That the Lord kept the oath he swore to your forefathers that he brought you out with a mighty hand and redeemed you from the land of slavery, from the power of Pharaoh, king of Egypt. In Isaiah 52 and 3, it is said this way, For this is what the Lord says, You were sold for nothing, and not with money you shall be redeemed. We cannot be redeemed with money. Gold, silver is insufficient to pay the price for human sin. So we ask the question, if we're redeemed, if we've been purchased, then we've been purchased by whom? By whom? And Peter in this text speaks powerfully to us about whom it is that has purchased us. He says, it's, he says, if. And some of your translations will say since. It's a bad translation because the Greek here is conditional. Peter is saying to the reader, if. Because you see, not everyone can call God Father. Uh, there are multitudes of people that, that on a regular basis say, our Father who art in heaven. And they have no right to do that because he is not their Father. The great country and western singer says, and we're all God's children. No, we're not. We're all God's creation, but we are not all His children. We become His children when we are redeemed, when we are born again, when we are in Christ Jesus. And so He is not the Father of the unbeliever, but He is our Father. He is our Father if we know Christ. And so it is God the Father, according to verse 17 that is the one who has purchased us and we need to understand that that when peter says this he brings to mind for his readers when jesus speaks to his disciples and says we call upon god abba abba father and i know there's a there's a popular teaching that runs around today that says oh god's our daddy he's our daddy no, that, that, that phraseology is not what Peter is referring to, and it certainly is not what Jesus introduces. Abba does not give us that whimsical, flaky kind of description of God. He is Father. He isn't a playmate. He, he isn't that, you know, that, that image that sits in the chair and the child comes up and says, Oh, Daddy, I'd like to have an ice cream, Daddy. Give me an ice cream, Daddy. And jumps in Daddy's lap and plays with his hair. and That's not the image that Abba portrays. Abba is a term of great reverence and great respect. And Peter draws close attention to that respect in this particular text. It's the Abba, God as Father. And it's interesting to note if you look at the Greek construction that the fatherhood of God is a secondary description. The emphasis is not on God as Father in this text. But it's important that we understand that He is our Father. And the reason Peter wants us to understand that is because, you see, the child carries the characteristics and the character of the Father. If you could see a photograph of my father and me standing or put together, you would think we were twins. I looked like he looked. Not as tall as he was, but our facial features are almost exact, as is my youngest brother. We, we, we look alike. I carry I carry some of the characteristics of my father. I realized I realized this it was very interesting. My daughter was 6 years old and and uh, she was in the hallway and when I came into the apartment that we were living in when I was working on my my degrees, we we lived in this apartment and it was a downstairs apartment and I would open the door and walk down the stairs and at the foot of the stairs it just went right into the hallway that led down to the washroom and the and the bedrooms and the the uh, kitchen area was to the right my daughter was was in the hallway as I opened the door and she was doing something she ought not to have been doing and I caught her red-handed and I responded immediately and in the middle of my response I'm thinking to myself I sound just like my father And I promised myself I would never do what my father did. But you see, I had caught his character. I had caught his character. And Peter wants us to understand something. When he refers to the fatherhood of God, he is saying something to Christians. He is saying, God is your father. You should be like him. That's the important aspect of fatherhood in this text, because Peter lays the emphasis not on God as father, but on the second part, God as judge. The father we call on is also an impartial judge. And the impartiality that is here is an impartiality between Christian and unbeliever, between believer and unbeliever. See, sometimes we think God is going to judge us differently. No, He isn't. The difference is is that our sin is under the blood. God has judged our sin with the blood of His Son. The unbeliever doesn't have that provision. Therefore, their sin will come before the Father and He will hold them accountable. My sin will not come before my Father in heaven, because it is covered by the blood of Jesus. Your sin, if you are a believer in Jesus Christ, will never be brought before the throne room of God, because it is buried under the blood of Jesus. Hallelujah. Hallelujah. There are lots of New Testament passages that talk about this. Matthew 16, 27. Romans 2, 6. Romans 2, 11, Romans 2, 28 to 29. Read Romans chapter 2 and you'll get a sense of, of what this is, is talking about. But the principle is here, each according to his work. Psalm 62 and 12 says, Once God has spoken, twice have I heard this. That power belongs to God, and steadfast love belongs to you, O Lord, for you repay to all according to their work. Fortunately for me, and for you, because our sin is under the blood, the work that will be judged for us is our service of Christ. We will be judged. We will stand before Christ. Jesus gave gave an example of that. And he he, he talked about the the measuring and, the, and the, 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 the coming of bringing your talents and what you have done, that, that what we do for another, we do for Christ. Throughout the Scriptures, there is this sense that, that our works will be judged before the Lord as though by fire. Proverbs 24 and 12 says, If you say, Look, we did not know this. Does not he who weighs the heart perceive it? Does not he who keeps watch over your, over your soul know it? And will he not repay all according to their deeds? So, my friend, we will stand before God, and we will give an account for the life we lived. We will not be held accountable for our sin, But we will be held accountable for our service. Our Father in heaven expects us to serve the kingdom. Our Father in heaven expects us to serve Jesus Christ. Our Father in heaven expects us to serve his kingdom on earth. We are to do good works. It's not enough to sing songs and lift our hands and take somebody by the hand and prance around the front of the church, saying, I was glad when they said unto me, let us go into the house of the Lord. Those are all good things. But folks, we have to go outside of these doors. And outside of these doors is a world full of hurt. And we need to bring the power of God, the love of God, the message of the kingdom to bear in those situations. And I know many of you are doing that. Understand this, multitudes of you here in this room today, you are engaged in caring for orphans, for widows, engaged in in efforts to, to do something that's going to bring about change and transformation in the nation of Malawi and in the lives of people. That's what we're supposed to be doing. It's wonderful to pray, oh God, heal our nation. And we need to do that. But folks, we are the healers. We are God's instruments of healing. The resources He puts in our care and under our supervision are things that He expects to be invested in that process of bringing healing and wholeness to the nation. Not bigger and better cars. Not more bedrooms in our homes. Not, not another pool in the backyard. Because the one in the front yard doesn't get enough sun. Sorry, I, 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 I got to move on because I'll get exercised. And but do you hear me? Do you hear what I'm saying? Do you understand? He's also the God of resurrection. Hallelujah. Turn with me to First Corinthians chapter 15. So, First Corinthians chapter 15, verses 12. 14, but if it is preached that Christ has been raised from the dead, how can some of you say that there is no resurrection of the dead? If there is no resurrection of the dead, then not even Christ has been raised. And if Christ has not been raised, our preaching is useless, and so is your faith. If Jesus is not risen from the dead, and folks, I don't mean mysteriously or some kind of a spiritual resurrection or some kind of a phantom event or literally risen from the dead. If Jesus is not physically, literally risen from the dead, my thirty... Some years of preaching is wasted time. And your faith is of absolutely no value. It cannot cause you to be guiltless before a holy God. That's how critical the resurrection of Jesus Christ is. Christianity is the only religion in the world that stands or falls on the validity of an historical event. That's why the resurrection of Jesus is so powerfully attacked. But I stand here today, this morning, to tell you without resurrection, without reservation, Jesus is alive. Hallelujah. Jesus is risen. Praise God! This is is the month of March. The last Sunday of this month we are going to celebrate Easter, Resurrection Sunday. We gather together on Sunday and not on Saturday because we celebrate resurrection and not law. We celebrate that Jesus came out of the tomb physically, bodily, in a resurrection body. There is no grave for Him. He lives today! Hallelujah! I'm in trouble. Hallelujah. Praise the name of the Lord. Oh. And because of that, He is the God of hope. God purposed that we would put our faith in His Son. In Jesus. It's a living hope hope it's a real hope because he is alive we know that because he lives we too shall live now i'm just a half at the half point through this message but the clock is beating me i'm going to stop here I wanted to talk to you about the price of redemption. I wanted to say a little bit about what it is that we are purchased from. I wanted to say a little bit about God's plan, but I'm not going to this morning. I'm going to end here. We are a people of hope. We are a people of hope not only for ourselves, but we are the bearers of Of hope. We we live in a world where multitudes live every day of their life in hopelessness. There are there are people, there are young girls that will this afternoon make their way to our streets, and they will spend the evening standing on a corner watching for a car to go by or. Somebody to walk by and and they will do as one young lady did with me about two weeks ago as I was walking on Victoria Avenue, walked up to me and said, and where are you going? And I quickly turned and ran to my car and said, home. <laughs> but these young girls are on the street doing what they're doing, risking their lives because they're hopeless. They don't see any other way of making some quacha. They they don't see another option for ufa, for tomorrow's meal. And we can can throw stones and, and we can be mean and we can be nasty and we can criticize, but folks, we need to bring them hope. We need to find ways to come alongside and say, Tomorrow doesn't have to be like today. There is hope. There is hope in Christ Jesus. There is a newness of life. But we've got to be prepared to put some some action to to the words. We've got to be prepared to do more than just talk to them and, and tell them, Oh, it's going to be all right. Because they've been being told it's going to be all right for a long time. And it's still not all right. You see, and I close with this thought that we need to really take to heart. Redemption means that I have been bought. And if I have been bought, it means I am owned. This is my alma mater. I... I wear it with some pride. tells me that, you're not going to believe this, but I'm still a full-time student, you know that? I, I have almost 18 years of university education under my belt right now as I stand in front of you. And this ring kind of symbolizes that. I bought it. I bought it. And it fits nicely on my finger, but it's not that tight. You, you know, it wouldn't be that hard for somebody to come along and sort of slip it off. And this ring is a gold ring. So, probably could be sold. Not, not for $3,000, but probably for 1000 But you see, anybody else who takes this ring has stolen it because I bought it, they didn't. Because I bought it, it belongs to me. I can wear it and I can say, this ring represents. You can't, you didn't buy it. The only way you can wear it is either if I give it to you or you take it from me. But it's owned. This ring is owned. It's owned by me. And it only does what I allow it to do. It's on my finger. At night I take it off and put it on my, my my nightstand. Put it back on in the morning. Sometimes I forget and keep it on all night. And, and I wake up with it right next to my cheek. Point is this. We are not our own. Your life is not your own. You cannot do with it what you choose. We are owned by God. We are His property. He holds title deed to your life. He doesn't only hold your sin buried under the blood. He holds title deed to your life. Young people, you should. Sometimes I, I hear you and you're asking the wrong question. You're asking each other, well, what are you going to do? What do you want to do with your life? It's the wrong question. The question you need to be asking yourself is how is God going to use your life for his kingdom purpose? How are you going to invest your life? For the kingdom of God how what is it that God has planned for you and most of the answers to that those questions are found in the in the Bible they're found in God's Word for those of you who are married and you have children when you pray for your children you need to be praying very seriously God help me to teach them and to train them so that they will grow up to fulfill your purpose for their life because you own them you've given them to me on loan for a while help me to do the very best that I can do those of you who are my age and you have grandchildren do that with your grandchildren my life is far spent there's less of it left than what's been spent And every once in a while, I get a little kind of nostalgic. And I look back and I ask the question, Lord, how well have I served you? How how many days did I spend doing my thing? How many weeks was I fully engaged in in doing what Harlan Purdy wants? How many of the plans that I made were focused on me? How well, how well have I served you? How, how well have I understood and acknowledged that you own me. You see, we, we talk about Jesus as Savior, but Jesus is also Lord. And the Lordship of Jesus means that He's the boss. I've never seen it in Malawi. I don't know if you even had it, and I'm going to close with this. I think I've said it here before. There was a, a great craze with bumper stickers. One of the bumper stickers that you saw in church parking lots all over the place. God is my co-pilot. No, he's not. I took flying lessons. I know what a co-pilot is. A co-pilot is the one that takes over when you let them. I'll never forget. We were just taking off, and I pulled back on the stick just a little too hard and, and the, the plane was climbing too steep and, and, and I was really new pilot and I could hear this and my trainer said push in on the console and I didn't push fast enough or far enough and he just
2: rammed
1: because we were about to stall because I who was supposed to be the co-pilot take over when he told me to had taken over See, God's not my co pilot. He's my pilot. He's not the co pilot in the plane of my life. He's the pilot. He decides where the plane goes, he decides when it takes off, when it lands, how far it flies. That's what it's about to be redeemed. Father, speak to us, Holy Spirit, and as every head is bowed and every eye is closed, I want you to search your own heart and ask this question, have I really understood that I am owned by God? Have I really understood this truth? Am I living my life as one who acknowledges God's ownership? of my life of my dreams of my plans am I acknowledging God's ownership in my life if your answer to that this morning is is no will you ask for forgiveness maybe you're here this morning and you have never given your life to Christ but you sense in your heart the tug of the Holy Spirit calling you to receive him as your savior will you do that this morning i'm going to ask you to stand with me today and i'm going to invite you if you're here this morning and you want to spend a little bit of time in the presence of god before you leave just just asking the lord to help you with this I don't do this perfectly. I struggle as everyone else does, but I want to do it right. I want to. How many of you here this morning, you will join me by just coming and standing at this altar and saying, Lord, I I acknowledge that you have redeemed me. And I know that means you own my life. And I want to do better at allowing you to be in control of me.
0: Thanks again for listening to this week's message. If you've never asked the Lord Jesus Christ to forgive you of your sins and be your Savior, we pray you'll do so today. If you have any questions, please feel free to contact us. We can talk face to face with you and answer any questions you have and help guide you in your walk with Christ Jesus. If you're already a born-again christian we hope this week's message has moved you to praise him having reflected on jesus's journey to the cross and his sacrifice made on our behalf remember there are many new ministries activities and events happening at city pentecostal church so visit our website citypentecostal.church to learn more about how you can get involved the lord bless you and keep you the lord make his face shine on you and be gracious to you the lord lift up his countenance on you and give you peace. By God's will, we hope to see you again next week. Bye-bye.
2: me.